All right, we are still uh, at the mountain in Exodus. When we left the mountain last week, Moses was leaving pure good worship of God to enter into something less than. How about that's the polite way of putting it? The, uh, the sound of singing and dancing in the camp. Now, two fun lessons today, two really cool things. One, you ever wonder what does it look like to be completely, lividly angry and yet without sin? Today, you're going to get a picture of it. So if you ever run across this in your life, you will know how to react. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is the bonus thing at the end that if we're not paying attention, we'll miss it. So I make sure I write it down in the notes so that we don't miss it. Is We talked about last week how Moses showing as a picture of Christ. This week, he's going to take that and dial it to 11. So where we were as demonstrating the work of Christ, we are now going to make sure that you cannot miss it in Moses' reaction before the people and God. So all that and more in Exodus 32, 19 through 35. I think it's kind of working well. It keeps me from talking too long that we just dive in, so we'll keep doing that. Sound good? All right. So verse 19. It came about as soon as Moses came near to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. I'm going to go with the theory I was given last week, because I joke about this, that you're never going to convince me until God tells me differently that Moses wasn't throwing them at somebody. And Daryl had the right suggestion. Aaron. (laughs) He was chucking it at Aaron. So I am going to go with that, because if you were going to throw a stone tablet at somebody for this, the first person on the top of the list should be your brother who knows better. And was literally, before you went up the mountain, having a meal in the presence of God. If anybody should have been like, you know, time out, guys. Not a good plan. It should have been that guy. So, I, in all seriousness, though, I joke about him throwing the tablets. But the shattering of the tablets is actually a pretty big deal. And this is why. If you rewind to chapter 24. Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offering to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. The other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. That's not just a, hey, we're signing up for this. We are killing an animal on behalf of your sin. We are killing an animal on behalf of you. You are now entering into not a legal agreement. You are entering into a covenantal relationship with God on high. You don't just get to go, I'm in, and then tomorrow, well, you know, Moses has been gone for a little while, so... I'm out. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. I've said this before as a reminder. If you want to understand the prophetic ministry in Israel, you want to understand the books of your prophets, understand what is both right and wrong in the Exodus. The prophets are calling Israel back to what is right. They are doing it by consistently pointing out that Israel is still living by what 
is wrong. Good example of that comes from this, Jeremiah 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. That goes on to talk about the promise of the new covenant where the law will be written upon their hearts. Why? Because I can shatter some stone tablets. But what will I not shatter? The heart of flesh implanted by God, imbibed by his word or imbued with his word. I'll let you correct my English on that. I don't care. (laughs) In other words, what you're getting here with Israel is a picture of what happens when humanity is left to their own devices in their power to make decisions that they think are best. As Proverbs puts it twice, Again, you repeat yourself with your children because you want them to hear you, right? When God repeats himself, you should listen. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, that way leads to death. In other words, you are supposed to be looking away from yourself, turning away from your ideas and trusting in God and his. This is why I've been having so much fun on Sunday morning reading Psalm 119. It's a declaration of celebration of what? God's law. His precepts, how shall I walk in this world? Do I just say, well, Jesus' blood covers my sins, therefore let's just, you know, let's go full speed ahead and see what happens. No. Slow down. Evaluate. Process. Think. Apply. Now, in order to do all of those things, what do I have to start with? In other words, before I run headlong into a situation and say, all right, what would God have me to do? What do I first need to know? Who's God? What is he like? What does he require of me? Has he given me a commandment here? Has he told me how I should do this? Has he told me how I should not do this? In other words, I have to start with what? Prayer and, more importantly, even, believe it or not, I just said that out loud, some knowledge of who he is and how does he give that in his word. See, I don't have to worry about the prayer thing because if you read your Bible, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit's going to go, hey, now that you've done this, what should you maybe do? Maybe you should strengthen yourself. How should you maybe do that? Ah, I should plug in. Those things take care of themselves. This is, again, our constant refrain. Knowing more about God leads you to love him more, and the more that you love him, the more that you will desire to serve him well, which means you will forsake the things of this world the more and the more and follow in him. In other words, our example from our trivia question, you will apply his law rightly because you have already been covered by the work of Christ, because the initial work of Christ's mercy and grace covering your sin and leading you into life has been done, you will then continue in that way. The negative example, Israel. Well, you know, Moses has been up the mountain six whole weeks. I mean, it's been six weeks. What do you expect us to do? Walk faithfully? Wait on God? Yes. Yes, I do. So Moses took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire. I like the way Moses thinks. When you encounter your sin, what should you do? Kill it and kill it with fire! Kill it with fire! That's what Moses is doing. I like Moses. (laughs) He burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. There's mad. 
there's angry, there's livid. Like, you ever had that moment with your children where you go past the I'm going to yell at someone stage and you've gotten so angry you've come all the way back around to calm? <laughs> yeah, I think Moses went around that wheel and then went around that wheel and then he went around that again. But believe it or not, this is good wrath. And there's a reason for that because it demonstrates something about God and something that we need to remember and learn. Was this a quick process? The reason why people, like, what do we tell you to do when you're angry? When your children get angry in school, what do they tell them? All right, take a deep breath, breathe deeply, count to 10. Why do you want them to do those things? Because if you stop for a minute, you'll eventually calm down. So, so Moses comes down, shatters the tablet, sees the people, and he's like, I'm going to make him drink it. So he builds a fire, and he melts down the gold. And after he's done melting down the gold, he then has to cool it because he can't just take hot molten gold and start running at it with a mortar and pestle. So he's, after he does that, he cools it down. Then he starts breaking it up into little pieces. Then he starts grinding it in powder. This didn't take like 20 minutes. This was the rest of the day. And the whole time he's doing this, at no point did he go, you know, this might be overkill. This might be something that would go a little too far. He went through it all the way to the end. It was measured, it was thought out, and it was precise. Just like the wrath of God. Deuteronomy 17. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people... So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Later on in the same chapter, the man who acts presumptuously by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord your God, nor to the judge, that man shall die. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Deuteronomy 13, 5, Deuteronomy 19, 18 through 20, Deuteronomy 22, 20 through 22, Deuteronomy 12, 4 through 7, all say the same thing. Purge the evil from among you. In other words, when you encounter sin, kill it and kill it with fire. See, we think of wrath as, I've used this example before, like when your dad got mad and there was more than one of you in the back seat. It's like, stop it. See, those of you with siblings will never understand the lack of blessing it is to be an only child when your father does that and there's no one else to aim at. <laughs> there's nowhere to go. I'm, I'm trapped and he's only aiming at me. That's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God pulls over the car, gets out, explains to you what you've done, explains to you why it's wrong, explains to you what you should have done, and then disciplines you. And let's be honest, if you were a kid, which would you have rather had? Just swing one or two times and get it. Don't, don't make me sit here and like, don't give me the lecture too. If you're going to do it, just do it already. That's not proper wrath. Proper wrath means Punishment is being meted out because you have earned it. Why? Because what is the wage of sin? Discipline, punishment for sin, is actually supposed to be a mercy and a blessing. Your disciplining of wrongdoing of the people you're in charge of is supposed to be a mercy and a blessing. Because the alternative is they continue to walk in this way, and if they continue to do this, they will end up where? And not just physical death, but they will end up in judgment. 
Your goal in discipline and instruction is to turn from this, to demonstrate that there is a wrath to come. That's why it is precise and long-suffering like this. This is a lesson. You want to make an idol. Do you have any idea what you have done? We laid this out. You violated commandments one through three, and you violated every other covenant promise you have made with God. You have literally lost your mind. Think about it. The other reason is, this idolatry, how easy is it to go, well, it's, it's just a calf. I mean, yeah, we built it, we set it up an altar, and we danced around it, and we did other stuff that we can't talk about in polite company, but, but, but I mean, it's, it's just a calf. Where is it now? It's in them. Where was their sin the whole time? It's an object lesson at the same time. This is one of the things you have to get right about your brain always. This is why I'm always big. Think. Read your Bible, evaluate, process what's going on. Your sin isn't something that just happens to you. It's not like he's like, I don't know what this was. I was not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, what do you know? You thought about it. You went, I probably shouldn't, but your sin doesn't just occur. It is something that starts in you, starts in your desire, starts in your heart, and then manifests itself as you engage willingly in the activities that you know are wrong. Israel needs to learn this. Moses got this. Remember what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is the speech of Moses as he is about to die and they are about to enter the promised land. One, two, three, four, five, six times. Purge the evil from among you. You think he got the lesson? Did they? Unfortunately. Now, Second way we demonstrate some attributes of God. How do you know that God is patient and long-suffering with his people in their sin? Six times purge the evil from among you, and you didn't purge the evil from among you. And let's be honest, if you were God for five minutes during the time of the judges, how many times would you have wiped Israel off the face of the earth? Yeah, you'd have been like, chapter one, they're all dead. Chapter two, they're all dead. Chapter three, yep, they're all dead here too. I mean... After a while, you can't kill everybody, but so many times before there's nobody left. And yet Israel survives the time of the judges, and they survive the times of Saul, and they survive the sins of David, and they survive the time of Solomon and Rehoboam, and they survive all of those kings, and they survive Ahab, and they even survive the good ones who somehow managed to keep drifting off into their sin. They survive all of this. Why? Because God promised that they would. It's not about them. It's about him. Welcome to your world. Your sin's not about you. Your sin's about God. You kill it, not because it's going to harm you, but because it's an affront against God. It's in a violation of your relationship to him, not a violation of you. The sooner you understand that, the sooner you recognize that this is not about what makes my life better. This is about what purifies me for his kingdom, which is to come. Get your eyes higher Get your life on a plane that is lived not for you, not for here, not for now, but for eternity. That's what the lessons are, is pointing you higher and farther. And by the way, just complete aside, I haven't forgotten about you guys. I know I look this way a lot, but everybody's sitting on this side today, so don't feel bad. Becca's like, you don't have to look at me. <laughs> Verse 21, then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? I love that assumption from Moses because in the text, what did they do to him? 
They asked. <laughs> but Moses' assumption is if you did, like, you, like, did you use the Ten Commandments as a checklist on how to sin against God, or was that, like, just skill? <laughs> I mean, the assumption is they had to have done something. What, atomic wedgies? They gave you a swirly in the urine? What did they do? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. Does that sound familiar? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. What, me? <laughs> it's her. What's, what's Aaron's response? Wasn't we have turned into the great prophet Shaggy. It wasn't me. And if you don't know that, you're a better person than I am from the 90s. Congratulations. So, I mean, that's, that's literally the response. You know how these people are. Come on. Now, 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We all know that one, right? Wait, look. Oh, I should pick on my school teachers, but I'm not going to. Nah, I'm not going to do it. You're off the hook. <laughs> I will just assume your answer for you. I used to have this argument when they, would, when they would try to get me to do project work and social studies all the time. I'm like, guys, you have no idea how bad of an idea it is to give high school students projects in a social studies. It's a terrible idea. Because you know what happens in a project? Either I put all the good kids together and they get a great grade because they care about their grades and do it. And all the bad kids, well, bad kids, all the kids who don't care, you know what they're going to do? Nothing. And so I had, I had one of my elementary ed majors' friends go, well, what you've got to do is diversify your groups. I'm like, yeah. So I'm going to take this group of four kids, and I'm going to give them, he goes, he goes, yeah, what you do is you take an A student and like a B student and then like one of your average students, then one of your failing students. I'm like, let me stop you right there, buddy. You know how that's going to go? The failing student's going to sit there and do nothing because they know the A student is not going to fail this project. And they're just going to get credit for that work. The C student's going to learn to coast, and the B student's going to try, which means what I'm really going to do is I'm going to take a good student and get good work, I'm going to take a decent student and get good work, and I'm going to take an okay student and teach them how to be lazy. This is an absolute loss. This is why I didn't do group projects in social studies. They were a disaster. Maybe you can get away with them in a science class because you got labs and things, but not in a social studies. Not, not going to happen. So... We know that if you put good people with a large crowd of bad people long enough, what do you get? Typically more bad people. Is that good enough? Is that a good excuse from Aaron? Was it a good excuse from Adam? Did God look and make, well, you know, you got a point there. I did give you the woman. No, <laughs> because you have done this. That was the excuse. Why? Because while bad company corrupts good morals, the very next verse Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. In other words, when you look at them and go, well, I tried, but everyone around me was just so bad that I couldn't do anything about it. Well, whose fault was it that you were in sin? Yours! Who's responsible for you? You are. When you stand before God, do you get to go, but mom said, but pastor said, but grandma said, no. As Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? You're responsible for the, the decisions that you have made in accordance with the knowledge that you possess. Which is why the warning from Paul is what? Be sober-minded as you ought. You've been given 
communion with God in prayer. You've been given wisdom in the word. You have been given a renewed heart and a clear mind. Therefore, use them, make decisions, and be sober-minded. Because if not, you don't get to look at God, well, you know, I did everything I thought was right, but, but why did you do those things? Because you didn't learn. You didn't listen. You didn't evaluate. So Aaron can't sit there and say, well, you know, they did this, and that was the end of it. And I don't know. Who's responsible for Aaron? Aaron is. Is that an answer as to why you sinned? That might be an answer as to why they sinned, but it is definitely not an answer as to why you sinned, which is why the assumption for Moses, what did they do to you? I mean, like, did they, were they giving you a Charlie horse and while you did, like, make, hurry up, make a calf, hurry up. Listen here, renew your mind. Trust in God above all else, because again, there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. So, who wants to play the news? This is my new favorite thing that all the news stations do is we have to fact check everybody. You remember this going back 20, 30 years? Like when I was a teenager, I was like, they put a fact check and they said he was a liar. And then I grew up a little bit and realized, wait a minute, they're all liars. The politicians are lying. The news is lying. I mean, everybody's lying. So, who wants to fact check Aaron? Oh, come on. Well, you're stuck with it because I already did it. They said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. All right, fact check. That's a thumbs up. Exodus 32.1 would confirm this. That's what they came to him and said. They came to him at at the mountain and said, we don't know where Moses is. We need a God to go before us. All right. So I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. That's also a true statement. Exodus 32, two through three would confirm this one. Here's where it gets good. And I threw the gold into the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) I've been joking for a while. There's an old R.C. Sproul quote. I don't know where, where he was, but he was sitting at a conference, and somebody asked him a question that just floored him. And if you don't know who R.C. Sproul was, if you ever remember scrolling through the Christian channels, and you saw this guy in a sport coat, kind of with the sleeves rolled up, teaching from a chalkboard, that was R.C. Sproul. And if you don't, still don't know who he was, go look up some R.C. Sproul stuff. It will do you amazing good. Great man of God. Wonderful. But he looked at this question, hit him, and his only response was, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> and I've said for years, do you remember the, the Staples easy button? Like you hit the button, it goes, that was easy. I want an RC Sproul button. So that every time somebody says something like this, I can just hit the button. And it goes, what is wrong with you people? I want that. And I want another Princess Bride button. I want the button from um, Billy Crystal's wife, Miracle Max, so that I can hit the button and it just goes, liar, liar. Because that's, that's what this needs, right? Is Aaron just gathered up the gold, dropped it into the fire, and oh, out comes the calf, right? With the, with the music from 2001 A Space Odyssey playing in the background. Dun, 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 dun. This is why I need Denny. Dun, 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 dun. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. He took this from their hand, Exodus 32, 4 through 5, and fashioned it with a graving tool, and made it into a molten calf, and then said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and made a proclamation, and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Those two things don't line up. Now, what's the problem with Aaron's statement here? 
other than you want to turn into a giant four-year-old and go, liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, that's the first thing. But why is that such an issue? Because this will get to something deeper into how you view your life, church, and Christian community in general. Because this is a human reaction. We can all admit this, right? This is a, this is a human reaction. You got caught, and your first thought was, as every good politician knows, deny, 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 make an excuse, and then bl- it's everybody's fault but me, okay? Because I like me, and I don't want me to be at fault. But why is that a problem for the Christian? Well, it's not truthful, but there's a deeper issue in regards to the gospel message as to why this is a problem for the people of God. And the answer is, why are you the people of God? You are the people of God because you have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ. The starting point there is what? I mean, okay, how many of you grew up with uh, Vacation Bible School songs? Or you had kids with Vacation Bible School songs? Every year in Vacation Bible School, what's the one, doesn't matter what style of music is it is, it is there's going to be a, what kind of song? There's going to be an ABC song, isn't there? What's the ABCs of VBS? Um, oh, man, I just turned into a Southern Baptist real quick, didn't I? The ABC song at every Vacation Bible School is what? Admit, believe, confess. Your initial motion into being the people of God is to say, hey, look at this guy, sinner, right here. Here's the list. Here's the stuff I have done. Christ, please save me, because I can't. That's your initiatory step. It's not somewhere down the line. That's step one acknowledging that I have sinned and that sin is in me and a part of me and that I can't win. Which means, if there is a people on this planet who should be capable of being confronted with their wrongdoing and going, yep, I blew it. It should be who? It should be us. What do we do? I just threw the gold in the fire. Yeah. We doubled down. Why? Sin, iniquity. (laughs) I don't think it's a matter of stupidity. It's a matter of sinfulness and how we wallow in it. 1 John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a duh, because what's the first step? Admit that you have sin. What did we start off with? Why Why do the pagans not try to follow the law of God? Because they don't care. They'll follow something else because we have societal laws and we have societal norms and things. Like, like everybody innately knows that you shouldn't lie to people. And yet, what do we all do? <laughs> we still do it. Why? Because I want to. Because at the end of the day, who's responsible for me? I am. And at the end of the day, if I don't have God as God, who will be my God? I will be. So if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that doesn't mean we make you a liar as in I lie because I'm not saying, because I'm saying I have no sin. No, we are the liar because what we're saying is I can't admit to that sin. My pride, my self-image will not allow it. So I will argue with you and fight with you and tell you that, no, I didn't do it. It wasn't, it wasn't me. That's not a denial of the truth. That's a denial of Christ. 
That's a saying, I don't want to bring this sin before God. I don't want his blood to cover it. I don't want mercy and grace for this, which means I want what? I want judgment. I want my sin. I have created something in my life that is more important than God. That's idolatry. See, the idolatry isn't that we made the calf. I mean, that's bad. I'm not telling you to go make a golden calf. That's not the problem, though. The problem is that somebody thought this was a good idea, and that somebody thought they could justify this idea, and that even after we've been confronted with the fact that it was wrong, I mean, if you knew nothing else, like if you were just like some random Aramean or Philistine or whatever wandering past the Israelite camp, and you saw Moses down the mountain throwing down stone tablets and grinding gold statues to powder and making people drink it, you would just kind of know instinctively that something that they have done is really bad. Like, really, did, whatever they did was not good. Aaron has experienced all of this and is still saying what? It wasn't that bad, was it? I mean, what's a little idolatry between friends? And see, I always say this. I said this in Sunday school. I'll say it here. I'm a big proponent of saying things out loud because when you say them out loud, you get to hear sometimes how bad they are. When you sit there and say, well, we violated the covenant of God and we broke all of his cardinal laws and we walked away from him, it's not that bad, is it? Yes. Yes, it is. It was that bad. You don't get to go to your wife and be like, well, you know, she was just cute and it was, I had a couple of drinks and it was just one time. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, that's, that's, you're moving out, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you wives are like, yep, yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't do that to me. Come on now. I can't even chalk as it is. This is the problem, Christian understand that the lesson here for you, we can't hide sin. Why not? Because I don't need to hide it from you. If I'm going to hide sin, I got to hide it from who? Got to hide it from God. Again, say things like that out loud. Well, I'm going to hide this from God because at that moment, it's like, okay, that sounds like a really dumb idea. And it sounds like a really dumb idea because it is. And what's the rule? Okay, just making sure we're paying attention. That rule is always in effect. I still need a t-shirt, you know, that has that on there. We need that one in the read your Bible with the monk hitting himself with the... Still got to get that made. I'm telling you, that, that, that would sell. If nobody, I, I can't believe nobody's done that yet. So anyway. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control, I'm sorry, to be a derision among their enemies. All right, we're going to take a quick little time out. When we say out of control, we mean... How do I say this delicately? You know what? I'm not going to say it delicately. I'm just going to not say it. Go listen to last week's on YouTube. It'll do you good. I mean, they are sinning in ways that belong in a film about the Roman Empire. I'll put it that way and leave it alone. What's Moses worried about? No. When Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control, to be a derision among their enemies, is now the time to care about your reputation? Is now the time to worry that the people around us might go, can you believe those people are acting like that? You wouldn't think so, and you would be wrong. Leviticus chapter 19. 
Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We know that one, and we all like to stop reading right there. Every one of you shall, rev- shall reverence his mother and father and shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. What's the repeated reminder there? In other words, who are you? You're my people. Why are you God's people? Because I have redeemed you. Therefore, you are to live differently. Not for you, for him. What was Israel's job? Isaiah 42. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. In other words, who does this God own? Everyone and... Everything. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. In other words, you have a job. Not that you will be perfect so that everyone else will think your life is amazing and they will be like, oh, I want to be like that guy. No, so that you will demonstrate that there is a higher standard and a higher calling because you are honoring and serving God so that the rest of the world will recognize that they are what? Not that. That they are following the lesser, lower, baser thing and see what? That there is a better way. There is a brighter path that they will then turn from their sins and trust in the God who forgives them. In other words, this little light of mine, that's supposed to be the job. Welcome to the calls of the Old Testament. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You want to understand your New Testament better? Understand the failures of Israel. Because everywhere that Israel fails, everywhere that the people of God break the covenant, walk away and forsake their duty, guess who doesn't? More specifically, this is what Christ does. This is part of the call of John 8. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations to demonstrate to them that the God who has redeemed you is the better thing. He is the better one. Therefore, you walk in such a way as to honor him because he has redeemed you so that others will see that. And they did what? They put the light out. They walked away. Jesus walks into the middle of the festival and says, all these festivals are not about you and having a party. They're about me and the salvific work that God is doing. All of your laws are not about your life. They're about God's glory. All of your redemption is not about how you would walk, but how God would redeem you. That's why Moses cares about their reputation. They're missing it. They are dishonoring God, not because they'll be thought bad of, but because when you disobey God and walk away and he must spank you, who will be thought bad of by the public? God will. You haven't dishonored you, you've dishonored the God who saves you. Again, Christian, your motivation for sanctification and holy living is not you. It's God. And again, 
Understand this because our evangelistic movements of the last, let me break out a timeline, 40 years have twisted this. Your good works are not about saving the pagan. We've convinced people of that. Like, I'll be nice at Walmart so that someone will come to me and ask me, and then I will get to testify about God, and then they will follow him, and that person will be saved. What was the focus of all of that? Me and them. No, that person will see my good works, and not only that, they will hear the testimony as to the why of my good works. Like, seriously, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been, like, run over with a shopping cart? And yes, I have been run over by a shopping cart. I must be really bad at Walmart, because that's happened multiple times. Of course, most of them are by my wife, so maybe I should learn a lesson there. She actually, no, she literally ran me over once. She had foot surgery, and so because of that, she had the little cart thing, and literally ran me over with it. Like, halfway up a leg, I'm in the middle of the food line going, wait a minute, I'm going to die, right? This, this is how I die, shopping cart driven by my wife. Yep, there you go. So, but have you ever been wronged at the store in public and you didn't get mad, and then someone ran up to me and goes, tell me about Jesus? <laughs> that doesn't, we've convinced ourselves that that's how it's going to work, right? Like the cashier's going to say something dumb, and I'm going to not react, and I'm going to be polite, and somebody's going to go, tell me about your God. Of course not. How is it supposed to work? When I do what is right, when the rest of the world would do what was wrong, when I admit my faults and care about how I live, when I don't do this or I do do that, and someone says to me, why? Now, how often do we say, well, because God has commanded. In other words, I just made it about who? Me and my wonderful obedience to the commandments of my God. No, because God, believe me, I want to do that thing. Every fiber of my being wants to do that thing. But God has died for that thing. And he has cleansed me from that thing. And therefore, I seek to live for the one who has lived and died for me. And I can't wallow in that while honoring him because he is more important. Now, who is this about? See the difference? It's not just the worst quote in church history. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's always necessary. And no, Francis of Assisi didn't say it. Just in case anybody asks you, no, he didn't. And when they say, yes, he did, just say, no, he didn't. The goal is not just living, it's proclaiming why you're living. What am I always telling you? I don't care what you're doing, I care why you're doing it. Because if we fix the why, if I get you looking up, if I get you honoring God, you know what the what will be? Perfect. It'll be good. It'll be right because who you are is aligned rightly. Who you are is following. What's Israel following? Whatever they want. Follow what you want. There's a way that seems right to a man. And in the end, it leads to death. So Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. Levi? Nothing personal back there, buddy, but your namesake are not good people. <laughs> They're just not. Genesis 49. 
Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. I mean, it is what it is. Simeon and Levi tricked the Shechemites because, the Shechem, uh, because Shechem's son raped their sister. Can't say I blame them. Doesn't make what they did right. And God judges them for that. Simeon doesn't get an inheritance in the land. He is scattered in that Judah gets a little bit of a carve out and Simeon is given that. And since Simeon doesn't like living in the midst of Judah, he does what as a tribe? He scatters himself. He's scattered and lost because of judgment. Levi, when they enter into the land, will also not be given an inheritance. Levi's inheritance will be God. They will be given the priesthood, and they will be scattered throughout the land so that every tribe and every city will have a priest, so that there will be instruction and sacrifice offered on behalf of the people in all the towns, in all the villages. Levi is scattered for blessing. In other words, God was able to redeem even Levi. There's hope for all in this world because even Levi and his sin can be redeemed because who's the one who's going to get? Like, this is like going out to the, this is like going out to the middle of a gang warfare and go, hey, whoever wants to go to church with me, come on. And one side of the gang be like, ooh, I want to go to church. That's basically what's going on here. Sorry about that. So Moses said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put, on, put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? I wonder if there's a phrase that we have used today that would summarize that well. In other words, purge the evil from among you. What would it look like? Where's the evil in Israel? <clears throat> but is it in their actions? No, it's in their people. Matthew 10, do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Was that really that hard of a work, by the way? Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Was that a lot of effort in most households? Sorry, just... <laughs> and man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, let's just make sure we get something clear. Did your pastor just tell you to slaughter the pagan members of your family? No. <laughs> See, I have to ask these questions to make sure everybody's following along. No, no, he did not. And don't ask me why I'm talking about myself in the third person. Or is that the second person? Yeah, third person would be when I use my own name, right? When I refer to me as he, that would be the second. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Why don't we? Like, let's be honest. There are days at the family reunion you'd rather do this than, than, than be nice, right? If you don't have that person at the family reunion that you hate because they're mean and evil, I got bad news for you. The person at the family reunion who's mean and evil is you. Just, just letting you know that. We wage our war differently. We wage our battles like Christ. Ephesians 5, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. 
But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this it says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, Levi has got to eradicate the evil. He's got to do this by eradicating some people. Christian, you eradicate evil by actually attacking the evil itself. And how do you attack it? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So in other words, when the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket, you say, I would like to not get into that handbasket. Oh, why not? Have you seen where this is going, people? You're living out the ACDC song, and I would like to not participate. Thank you very much. That's the lesson. I don't just tell you I'm not going to do it. I tell you why I'm not going to do it. I take the spotlight of righteousness and shine it on what? Look at the sin. Look at it. If you're going to do it, what should you do? You look at it. Know what's going on. Shine the light. Proclaim what is good and right in the sight. That way, when they go, they go without excuse. That's our battle. This is what Jesus was here for, at least one of the things. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. It's one of the great lessons we forget. How do you make the darkness go away? Turn on a light. Like, do you ever have to turn on a light and then wait for the darkness to back up slowly? Like, you walk into it, like, you go to the basement, you walk down, you turn the light on. It's not like the light flickers and then it, like, we do this in movies. I'll never understand why we do this in movies. In every horror movie, they have that scene where they pull the little string in the light and it gets brighter and the room slowly, slowly gets brighter. Is that how light works? No. In other words, the darkness flees when what happens? Light comes on, dark goes away. Christian, you are the light. You are bearing the work of Christ. You are bearing his lessons and his teachings. Your mere presence makes the darkness go every single time. Every single time. Time. And if it doesn't, it's because you have fallen into the wrong place and you are hiding the light. Always remember that lesson from the, uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. The reason why Jesus doesn't want you to put the light under a basket is because the basket is basically wicker and they didn't have light bulbs, which means their light was what? Cover a light with a wicker basket. How's that going to work out for your house? See, the light's going to shine. The question is, is it going to shine because of you. God is not without a testimony. God is not without a witness. The truth will always come out because the light will continue to shine. The question is, will it shine because you shined it or will it shine because you tried to burn the place down? Those are your options. There's not a whole lot of in between. Here, we don't have much choice. We've got to burn it down. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed. That had to be a day. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. Did Moses give him a high five? It's football season. Did anybody get a helmet sticker? Levi, come back, and Moses go, Good job, everybody. Way to purge the evil from among you. No. Why not? No, not because it was expected. Did Moses enjoy that? Did Moses enjoy standing there and watching the Levites go through the, go through the camp, slaughtering people? Did the Levites enjoy that? 
Should anybody enjoy that? When you shine the light on their sin and they go that way anyway, are you like, go faster, drive, drive? If there is, there's a problem with your heart. We do the work. Doesn't mean it's always pleasant. This is one of the reasons why your rest is not in this world and that your rest is in God. Because there are days that it's a miserable job and that it's a miserable work. There are days when it is hard because we are confronted with eternal realities and people do not always do the best thing. Our hope in those times is that God's kingdom is good, that his mercy is eternal, and that there is coming a day when not just my sin will be gone, but sin will be gone. Not some of it, all of it. Mine, yours, the neighbors, everything gone. And then I can live at rest because then the work that I have been striving to do my entire life will be done in ease. I won't be fighting me and you won't be fighting you and therefore you won't be fighting me. But we will see clearly and see rightly. Unfortunately, Christian, today is not that day. I mean, at least not yet. I mean, it's still early. Anything can happen, but you know, it hasn't happened yet. Which means we have work to do. And it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be necessary. My, um, my favorite Bible verse is in Nehemiah chapter 13. I've told you this before. Nehemiah gives you a good example of this. Lou is already laughing because he already knows what it is. In those days, I also saw the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And as for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, the language of his own people. In other words, Nehemiah is looking at the Israelites who have come back from exile. They have returned from judgment upon the nation and judgment upon the land. And they have entered into the same sin patterns that they've always had. So people always ask, like, what's a good life first? This is it right here, Nehemiah 13, 25. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God. Yes! There are days I want that ministry. You did what? Don't do that. Admit it, you have had that person. You have, you have wanted to at least once. And if you haven't, you haven't been around enough sinners. There you go. And I told them, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters from your, for your sons or for yourselves. And then he reminds them, this is what Solomon did, and it brought judgment. This is what your fathers did. And it brought judgment. And then he calls out to God, Remember them, O God, because they had defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. In other words, was Nehemiah having a good day? I mean, as governor and leader of the people of God, when you have to show up to work and beat them, is it a good day? Not typically. Which is why you can tell from Nehemiah's tone. He's not enjoying himself. And we'll come back to him in a second. So on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. No. You think? And I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. (laughs) Like maybe if God's in a good mood. (laughs) Now, can Moses make atonement for their sin? Yes. Why? Because why is Moses there? Continue on in 1 John. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. 
propitiation, the turning away of wrath. Christ is the advocate. Moses is Israel's advocate because Moses will advocate on behalf of Israel rightly in the sight of God. God will forgive and pardon them. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. This is good. This is confession. This is what Aaron should have done. But now, if you will forgive their sin, it's a good place. You gotta, you gotta ask, right? If not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. That just escalated quickly, didn't it? Moses is in, right? Moses has trusted in God. Moses has acknowledged his sins. Moses has worshipped perfectly in the presence of God. Has Israel? Like, there's a reason why he broke those tablets. To return to God and say, Lord, forgive them. And if not, take it out on me. Does that sound like anybody you might want to be reading about in your Bible? Welcome to the picture of Christ. Right there the leader of the people of God, saying, Lord, don't judge them. And if you have to judge them, judge me. See, we don't think like this because we don't love them. And if we don't love them, it's because we've thought about them wrongly. We've thought about ourselves in this world. We've thought about our station. We've thought about what we're going to gain. We've thought about the wrong thing, and we have not thought about God. See, in Moses' mind, what's going to give God the glory? This broken, sinful nation being delivered by his work. That will glorify God. And if somebody's got to die so that that will happen, I volunteer. Sign me up. That's Moses' attitude because he cares about what? The glory of God. This is why when Moses doesn't enter the promised land, it's for the reason he did, because he didn't honor God. He forgot this because he's still a sinful person, which again, everywhere where Israel fails, Everywhere where Moses fails, everywhere that David fails, everywhere that Solomon fails, everywhere that Elijah fails is the place where Christ, the place where Christ succeeds because he's the better Savior, because he's the only true Savior. This is good. 1 Peter 3, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. That should be the best news on the planet. He's going to spank us. Why is that good news? Because he's still going to be with us. Moses is going to go. The angel of God. Christ in flesh is going to go before them. They are still going to be his people. Yay. That's good news. Again, Moses learned this lesson, which is why before they go into the land, he tells them what? Go! Because God is not going to leave you or forsake you. Because Lord knows if he was going to do it, he'd have done it by now. And this would have been a perfect example. And the Lord smote the people there's a good word. We need to bring that word back into the regular use in English, right? Don't we need more smotes and smiting in life? Yes. Stop punishing your children and start smiting your children. People will think you're Amish or something. So the Lord smote the people because of, that, uh, because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. If I could read, we'd be all set. That's good news. He's cleansing them. He's refining them. 
He's purifying them. As Paul would say in Hebrews, do not disparage the discipline of the Lord. Because who does he discipline? Those whom he loves. For the same reason you don't spank other people's kids in Walmart when they misbehave, God doesn't spank those that are not his. So God doing this is good news for Israel because it means he has not forgotten them, he has not forsaken them. Go back to Nehemiah. Was Nehemiah having a good day? No. Which is why he finishes. I purified them, talking about the people, from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at the appointed time for the first fruits. Remember me, God, for good. In other words, I'm not enjoying this world. I'm not enjoying this job, but what am I doing? I'm continuing to do the faithful work that you have called me to. Please, Lord, remember that I am working. Remember that I am walking. Christian, where's your power? Where's your hope? Where's your peace? Where's your rest? Every single time you attempt to find any of those things in this world, there be dragons. Failure is coming. Disaster is looming. Find those things in Christ, in the mundane, day in and day out things of life. And there is victory and peace and security from God. Because that's how his people are supposed to walk. And the negative example is when you don't walk like that, bad things happen. Even the positive example is when you do walk like that, bad things seem to happen everywhere else. I joked, how many of you wanted my week? Anyone? Just in case, you got a DeLorean, we can rewind this and, um, okay, just, just, just asking. Does it shake my faith? Does it change my relation to God? Does it mean something different was going to happen this morning? No. Why not? Because I deal with it as it comes. Was it always fun? No. When I'm running through a cornfield at 1030 at night, looking for the dog while my kids are crying, that's not a fun evening. Does that mean God's forgotten me? Does that mean I'm being punished? I gotta figure that out. I gotta work on it. Does it mean I could do things better? Probably. Me, of all people, should know I can do things better. But the point is, because of how I'm viewing the world, I can rest. I can rejoice because in all of those things, I can see the hand of God refining and purifying and strengthening either me or someone else. Therefore, the work is good. Whether I like it or not, it is still good. That's the lesson Moses has to learn. That's the lesson the prophets had to learn. That's the lesson every Christian has to learn because welcome to the planet. Is it a lovely place? It can be. But some days it's really what? It's really ugly and beat down. And I do what? I shine my light. I trust in God. And I recognize that it is in him that I have rest. Nowhere else. Let's pray.